Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of The FFS Show, a podcast about misinformation and fact-checking by The Ferret. My name is Ali Bryan and I am one of your hosts alongside my fellow host Sam Gonsalves. How are you doing Sam? Hello Ali, I'm well. I am in a spring cleaning mood. I've been spring cleaning my flat wow. this week. Um, and you know, it's it's that season of like council elections coming up, flat getting cleaned, yeah, sunny, well, it's sunny outside, <laughs> all things in the same genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Council elections, trees. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, you're so right. Anyway, so this week, we, as you said, uh, the council elections are fast approaching, as they say in radio Indeed. terms. Yeah. On May the 5th, uh, people across Scotland will be uh, casting their votes for their favoured candidates in the in a non-first-past-the-post uh, election. We'll get into a bit of that later on, um, That about the voting system in the Scottish council elections, different to the English council elections, different to the Scottish Parliament elections, and different to the general elections. So be right. aware of that when you vote. But if you want to learn more about the uh, local council elections and how the system works, how different parties are doing, and anything relating to the council elections, we have a brilliant interview coming up with Alan Folds, who is the elections expert and polling expert behind the uh, very useful ballot box Scott. Mm. Which is a brilliant site. It's it's very yeah. comprehensive in like all council election things right now. Yeah, it's uh, sort of, uh, if, if you know the website, if you don't know the website, it's a quite similar to the website Britain Elects, which uh, looks at right, by-elections right. and elections and uh, polling and uh, boundaries and anything to do with elections and how they are fought and um, but on a, on a UK level, but Ballot Box Scott does it on a Scottish level. So you'll get really, really good detailed information about council by-elections, about you know all the various candidates for different elections, how the polling's going, right. how the split looks across the country, different things about boundaries. Also, it's really, really interesting for any, um, hopefully, I imagine we have quite a lot of election nerds listening to this podcast. <laughs> I would imagine so. And, you know, it's it's the week before, so usually that's when interest tends to peak even yeah, exactly. among people who are not who are not that interested. So before we go to your interview with Alan Fods, um, mm. we have a fact check to talk about uh, on the big power off, which is maybe the yeah. most iconic title of a fact check we've had. Um, so should we go do that first? So over the last few months, we've been talking about uh, cost of living and cost of yeah. living crisis and increased in energy costs and all sorts of things. Uh, and this fact check is kind of related to that. There's a, there it's, it's a, on a similar theme. Um, it's about the big power off. Now, can yeah. you tell me a little bit about what this big power off is in the first place? Essentially it's a protest against the increase in energy bills, which we've uh, talked about before. Uh, uh -huh. The, increase in the energy price cap which means that energy bills rose by about 54 percent at the start of this month um and some people have organized this protest which is essentially uh against it against the rise in energy bills in order to try and push for some level of action from government to uh, reduce prices and the big power off essentially is encouraging people to turn the power off turn their power off turn their electrical gas appliances turn them down or turn them off completely if yeah. possible for a set period every day the protest in the uk has been 10 minutes uh, so everybody if everybody does it at the same time for 10 right. minutes 
then the aim is to you know raise awareness and then there's a number of other claims which we're going to look at um about what impact it could have right yeah i mean if we want to get into the the kind of technicality of it and, and whether it works but 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 just on the origins of this yeah so was there a kind of trial of this kind of demonstration in spain yeah so the one in the uk was started by um the sheffield branch of disabled people against uh-huh. cuts which is a great organization which um uh, highlights the impact of welfare cuts etc on uh, and how it disproportionately affects disabled people yeah but it was inspired as you say by a protest action in spain which was called uh, not another minute which took a place in spain on the 15th of march and it was part of a sort of really wide revolt against energy prices which were affecting Spain. In the Murcia region of Spain, there were, people were encouraged to turn off their electricity for one minute. Okay. This has sort of inspired the one in the UK. There's been I a number see. of claims which have come about which say this was the reason that Spain uh, later on uh, reduced their energy prices and put in place like a massive package of assistance uh, for people being affected by the energy crisis. The Spanish government did announce that package of measures. I mean, obviously, it's not. We can't say clearly whether or not it was that just that action that was the catalyst, because there was also right. a massive transport strike. There was protests in the street. This is a wide, a really, really wide, uh, sure, um, sure. you know, wide-ranging protest against energy prices, of which that was one action. Yeah. So, so let's get into the technical side mm. of it could the protests cause havoc in the national national grid could it kind of make something mm. happen in terms of, of of the provision of electricity it's important that we first kind of explain a little bit how the grid works yes broadly speaking the national grid as people know is essentially the network of electricity infrastructure so power stations power lines uh, that get gas and electricity across the country so essentially it's how you get electricity from where it's generated to where it's needed. The UK's national grid is operated by National Grid ESO, which is uh, slightly split off from the national grid company. The grid needs to be balanced at all times, so it needs to have the same amount of energy going in as coming out. Right. Because because energy needs to be used at the time it's manufactured. Okay. So what the national what the national grid ESO does is they kind of predict when there'll be a difference between supply and demand. And then when right. that's when that when they think that's likely to occur, they can balance the grid by reducing the input or increasing the input depending on when there's, you know, what the imbalance is. Right. People on social media who said it would cause havoc in the grid system was that if there was enough people who all turned their electricity off at the same time, then that would mean that there would be a massive imbalance in the national grid and I that see. would cost energy providers money because they would, they'd have to balance the grid and could have significant roll, rolling on effects for, for sure. the, the grid and the energy suppliers. Is and what is the truth of that? Like, the, if it happened, would it would it imbalance the grid? Well, the thing I think is really important to know is that the national grid—that's what they do all the time—is they balance the grid. So, their their right. grid is really well equipped to deal with these sort of irregularities and you know right, right, uh, right. increases and decreases, particularly if they're advertised and they're pre-warned. So, sure, um, a good example which uh, people will know about is the TV pickup which is where the National Grid realizes there's going to be a surge that's uh-huh. linked to some sort of TV event. So oh. England are playing in a World Cup quarterfinal uh-huh. yeah. and, you know, it gets to halftime. Then yeah. half the country goes and turns <laughs> turns their kettle on or yeah. toaster or whatever, toilet on, the light on to go to the toilet or whatever. And that's right. going to cause a massive surge in energy. Sure. So the grid needs to be prepared for those sort of things so that, right. that it doesn't massively unbalance the grid. So they're very well equipped and very right. knowledgeable in predicting these things. Sure. Um, so, which means it's very, very difficult for yeah. uh, protests of this nature to have 
the impact which they hope you need to for that to happen you need to have you know we're talking millions and millions of people like towards the majority yeah. of people in the uk does the protest cost anything cost any money for energy suppliers or or you know provide any kind of difficulty for them well another social media post which is really, which went viral about this uh, protest one of the big posts that kind of launched it said that Essentially, because the national grid is publicly owned, but power supply is private, so energy suppliers buy electricity and then sell it to the consumer. Right. Then that would create a boycott of private power supply uh, suppliers, and that would lose them nine million in revenue. Right. Uh, there's a few problems with this. The nine million figure is alleged to be the amount of revenue private energy companies receive every ten minutes in the UK. Okay. First of all, that appears to be not right. That's a, okay. a way higher figure than the reality. We had a little, a little bit of a look into the revenues of the big six energy companies, which uh, they account for 70% of the market. So not all of it, but the majority of the yeah. market is covered by these energy companies. And the figure of uh, revenues, that the figure of revenues for them would have to be hundreds of billions, which is higher than what their actual revenues are. Sure. Um, so that figure seems to be pretty far off the reality and pretty yeah. too, far too high. Not to say they don't make a substantial amount of money uh, every yeah, 10 yeah, minutes yeah. or every day, etc. because they do make a lot, you know, there's a lot of revenue brought in. Right. Um, although obviously that's balanced against costs. They, they yeah. you know, in terms of their profits are different to their revenues. We don't know exactly how much money has been lost during the protest so far. And obviously energy companies aren't revealing how much money they've lost or gained on one uh yeah. In one 10 minute period, it was very difficult to measure that. But it's also difficult to measure because the energy that these suppliers are giving you isn't bought in the moment. So what energy buyers tend to do is buy a lot of their electricity bought before it's generated. So they buy a wholesale based on prices in advance, which just to stop for, you know, allow for volatility in the market. Yeah. Boycotts on a sort of 10 minute level are unlikely to change prices right. in any way. A lot of the energy that's, um, being used today has been bought and paid for up to five years ago. Um, the other thing to note is that the national grid system is not publicly owned. National grid ESO right. and national grid PLC has been privatized since 1990. It was privatized by the conservatives. So okay. it's actually an investor owned utility company. It's not a publicly owned service. So I guess overall, it's not out of the picture that a, a, a protest or a movement like this would would generate some kind of effect or would or would raise some kind of uh, recognition, but it's actually very unlikely that they would be effective the way they've been publicized on social media. Yeah, exactly. The original protest, I think one part of the reason it was um, started was for people who didn't, who weren't able to maybe go out and protest on the street or didn't have the, you know, right, the time where they, right. they could do some form of protest that was just sure. basically within their own home. And yeah, so we're not really, uh, we're not fact-checking uh, or denigrating the protest as a whole. We're just no. uh, fact-checking some of the statements which have been claimed on social media around it. Now it's time for our interview with Alan Folds from Ballot Box Scott. Uh, this is a really good chat about the local council elections and how the system, how the electoral system works and the misconceptions about local councils and local council elections. That's right. And we'll come back afterwards with more details on where you can follow us and where you can follow Ballot Box Scotland as well uh, for more information. In overall terms, do you think that media coverage of how electoral systems work rather than the kind of politics of elections, but the actual kind of nuts and bolts of how electoral systems work and how elections operate do you think that's good? Do you think that, that media does that well? Or do you think there's you know room to improve? So, so I don't want to be too dramatic, but I, I do want to use the word abysmal. It, it is pretty <laughs> abysmal. Like we, we are 
everything is seen through the lens of first past the post. Like that is yeah. that is the default electoral system. Never mind that about two thirds of the world's democracies use some form of PR. No, no, first past the post. That is the voting system, and everything else is a strange deviation from it. And particularly when we're talking about the the Scottish Parliament voting system, um, you will almost invariably if you're seeing sort of a, a mainstream journalist covering it they will use the term complex as the complex yeah. system for the scottish parliament and actually it's very simple now i wouldn't expect to stop someone in the street and go explain to me how the divisor works like i wouldn't expect that but it is just division it is maths you learn how to do in primary yeah. school it's bigger numbers but so long as you had a bit of paper and a, your phone beside you to use the calculator anyone could do it and like two minutes they could fall like they could do an entire region in two minutes like it's not that complex but we kind of default to, to going and saying that oh you know it's it's difficult and uh, another aspect to that as well i think that, that there's kind of like a mythos is sort of built up around the the scottish parliament voting system about it being designed to stop any single party from getting a majority and specifically right, like, yeah. this system was specifically designed to stop a majority it's like it's just a form of pr all, all forms of PR do that. That's because they're proportional. That's 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 what it says on the tin. So, but and yet we've sort of de- developed it as this thing that's specifically meant to have stopped the SNP. It's like no, it stopped Labour just as much as well. That's that's what it does. So yeah, there's there's not great coverage. And then by the time we get around to um, council elections, very limited coverage of those anyway, and next to no coverage of how substantially different the single transferable vote is. Well, that's going to lead us on brilliantly to uh, talking about the single transferable vote. Can you give us a quick summary for our, our listeners of the single transferable vote and broadly speaking, how it's different to it, uh, local elections in England? So the thing, the thing with single transferable vote, the, the thing that defines it is that everyone has a list of preferences. Are you ranking candidates one, two, three, four, and so on and so forth? And you can do as many or as few of those as you like. And then the sort of the next step, once they've sort of got the total number of votes or certainly the total number of first preferences um, counted up, they can work out what's called the quota. So the quota is a relatively simple calculation. It's the total number of votes divided by one more than the number of seats. And then you add one vote. So most wards in Scotland have either three seats. So that's divide by four. That's 25%. So a quarter of the vote plus one vote or uh, four seats, which is then 20% of the vote plus one vote. And it's basically the minimum number of votes that would be possible for candidates to win. And you wouldn't be able to have an extra candidate elected, you know, beyond the number that are available. And it's then sort of works by transferring votes between candidates both that have been eliminated so if nobody's at quota or they're still needing to sort of get a few votes to get to quota the lowest placed candidate gets knocked out and their votes then transfer in the sort of the, the preference order there or if a candidate's elected with a lot more votes than they need because um, that can happen too like if you need 20 percent of the vote and you get 30 percent the 10 percent just sitting there is just as wasted as it would be you mm-hmm. know like if if that candidate wasn't elected so they'll sort of move votes in proportion as well so in that case you know i said 30 percent and they needed 20 basically half of um or sorry a third of every one of their votes will move in order into the next preference so it sort of shuffles about and it's it's therefore 
because a, a single party basically can't get all of its candidates elected, they need like you know seventy five, eighty percent of the vote, which they're not going to get. It does give a result that's sort of relatively proportional, but it's not massively proportional. You know, if I'm saying we're talking twenty, twenty five percent of the vote, so you can still have parties getting five, ten percent of the vote and getting no or next to no councillors if they're not then getting transfers, which I personally view as a little bit of a flaw with STV. Like I think most voters want to be represented by their first preference. That's why it's their first preference. And we should probably have a system that sort of seeks to maximise that. But it is better than first past the post. It's more representative. It means more voters have a voice. So do you think the lack of knowledge around the electoral system leads to more misconceptions about it. I feel the Scottish Parliament gets this the most because it has a lot more attention mm-hmm. than council elections do. Yeah. Like a lot of there are a lot of things that are said about it and that are believed about it which simply they're simply not true. So for example, you'll see people talking about how oh a, a list vote for the SNP is a wasted vote because they won't get anyone elected in the list. But no, like the whole point of the list vote is to get a proportional apportionment of seats. So if your party doesn't if you, a party like the SNP doesn't get list seats that's because they've already got their proportional share from the constituencies it's not that your vote hasn't counted it's not that your vote hasn't been wasted it's not that your vote has been wasted it's just that they didn't need it to get the representation that they have and sort of schemes to try and sort of play the voting system to game the voting system and go oh well you know my guys aren't going to be elected in the list so vote for someone else that does actually distort the sort of democracy of, of the thing we've seen a a fair bit of this before the um local elections and also it happens generally speaking, before every election in uh, um, <laughs> campaign literature by political parties, where they use very odd and very misleading polling numbers to bolster their point. The Scottish Conservatives, uh, that's uh, Craig Hoy, MSP, talking about sending Nicola Sturgeon a message, How every here's how every pro-UK uh, voter can stop the SNP. At one point, they compare the total votes the SNP got in the last local election versus the Tory list vote from the last Hollywood election. That's and that's just one example of a number of you know it's happening in for different parties. That's not um, singling out the Tories uh, specifically, but what's the problem with that, and why is that particularly misleading? So, I mean, what I would say, as you're saying, you're, you're not picking, not not trying to single out any party. Like most parties, at some point, have done something along those lines. Like it's, exactly oh, it's, all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, whenever something um, like they will take whatever sort of polls look nicest to them. They'll, they'll sort of cherry yeah. pick those, whatever sort of election results. I, I did find that I, I know exactly sort of the one you're referring to in terms of comparing the, the 2017 um, council vote with the list vote. It's like, well, we have to remember these are elections that had a, a roughly 20% difference in turnout. You know, that's that's hundreds yeah. of thousands of voters. You, you really you know can't, can't compare those two. Um, the, fam- the, the famous thing, of course, that everyone knows about, and you know, and the, uh, the party actually kind of leans into it these days of the Lib Dem bar charts. You know, the Lib yeah. Dems only need to come, you know, 0.1% ahead of the third placed party, and you will get a leaflet through your door showing the number one party, the Lib Dems just behind, and number three can't win here. Like, that that's the thing. And it, it's kind of understandable from a political level, and I, I find it hard to begrudge parties doing it because, you know, like, they're trying to win elections. That that's what they're going to yeah. do. But fr- from the perspective of you know wanting things to be accurate and precise, like it, it can be a little bit, it can be a little bit frustrating. Uh, another one that I've sort of seen recently, and, and you know again, not, we're tr- trying not to pick on the Conservatives, but I think perhaps because they are the sort of the, the largest opposition party, there's a natural sort of tendency at the moment there. Um, is they've also been sort of saying, well, Labour absolutely can't beat the SNP because look, 
all of the council by-elections that took place um, since the Holyrood election, we won lots more votes than, than Labour did in those. Yeah. And that's 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 mathematically true. They did. Um, but there was a, a massive over-representation of rural council areas in there. So Highlands, um, Aberdeenshire, you know, Lomond North and Argyll and Butte, places where not only are Labour not strong, but actually they didn't stand in the by-elections at all. If we'd had yeah, right. a, a, a half dozen by-elections in Glasgow and Western Bartonshire and North Lanarkshire, Labour would be in the position where they would be the ones putting out going, ah, look, see these by-elections say that only we can beat the SNP. And it's like, well, you've got a, a partial picture of a few by-elections which are not nationally representative. So things like that are as I say, frustrating, but perhaps understandable, you know. I would also add, like, just as an interesting point, it's not just um, it's not just political parties that do this. It's also, you will kind of see this thing in, in the media too. And again, to sort of go back perhaps to, to the Greens, um, there was one poll last year um, by Lord Ashcroft, um, which found that, uh, which was reported as, oh, less than half of Green voters support independence, which is a really dramatic thing to say because obviously the yeah. Greens are the, the other pro-independence party beyond the SNP in Holyrood. So that would be a, a big finding. That was the constituency vote. And in the same poll for the regional vote, and we know that the regional vote is where the Greens get most of their support, overwhelmingly they supported independence. And in fact, if you looked across seven or eight polls from other polls, there's their last polls before the election. What we find is that, interestingly, the Greens are the least constitutionally settled party, but it's still something like 70-20 and only just ahead of Labour who are on very, very similar figures. Um, But because that's a nice narrative, if if you're, for example, like, you know, the Greens entering government had a lot of um, sort of um, columns written about them. Um, If you don't particularly like the party, that's a good piece of data that looks credible you can pull out and use and you're very unlikely to have me popping up in every column in the country going hang on a minute there's eight other polls here that say completely different um so things like that yeah so pe- people will often find the things they like and i certainly experience this in ballot box scotland even if i go look here's all this other evidence it's like oh no you just don't want to believe the one bit of evidence i have your 10 bits are biased which is frustrating So that was uh, Ali's conversation with Alan from Bella Box Scotland. You can find out more about Bella Box Scotland on bellabox.scot. Um, it's a really interesting website. There's all sorts of different areas for you to explore. So I would, I would recommend our listeners to go and check that out. You can uh, also follow us. We're going to have a couple of investigations coming up this week around uh, council elections and explainers and fact checks we have our weekly newsletter uh fair underground we have our kind of just day-to-day we usually we publish something every day and then yeah there'll be plenty in there for you to check out if you like you can find everything on newsletter emails website membership events we have lots coming up in the mm. coming weeks yeah and remember if you want uh, to get in touch with us you can get in touch via email at factcheck at the ferret.scot or if you want to suggest a fact check specifically uh, to us on the podcast, you can by going to checkmyfat.paperform.co. Right, we'll see you next time. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.